This is Back to Debbie, a show brought to you by Campus to Ken. This podcast specializes in collegiate football players and their potential for future fantasy success in the NFL. I'm your host, Mike V. This is my co-host, Corey P. We are starting off our Pac-12 series. And finally, Corey, we have a conference that has a title that makes sense. We have 12 teams. They're all in states that border the Pacific Ocean, hence Pac. With the exception of two schools, Utah and Colorado. We can let that slide, though. And we do have two schools leaving next year. And maybe they bring in some new teams, but nothing's concrete yet. And hopefully they limit the candidates down to schools that continue to border the West Coast. So they don't have to rebrand like the other one should be rebranding. USC and UCLA, by the way, were the two schools that are leaving. But again, not until next year. Now over to Corey for the news. So first we'll head over to Clemson where we have a nice positive update about uh, sophomore wide receiver Adam Randall. He posted a picture pretty much looking ripped, looking very in shape. A lot of people were worried about that uh, 230 weight that they had heard, but looks like it might be a good 230. Um, he's apparently uh, in, in his best space mentally and physically than he's been since his time at Clemson right now. So, I mean, even uh, referring to the uh, interview I brought up last show where Will Shipley was talking about him um, as a potential breakout guy this year, a guy that we should be looking out for. And we also learned that he's also roommates with Cade Klubnik. And we know that roommate factor actually plays a big part. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that could definitely lead somewhere. So Adam Randall, you know, maybe climbing up the rankings a little bit again. Um, we're going to head over to Texas as well, um, where they're starting their summer workouts as well. So they had a little bit of an interview. Um, Quinn Ewers. Um, has posted some pictures as well. Apparently he's looking pretty shredded. He's taken uh, a better command of the offense. He's taken more of a leadership role. He's being more assertive with the team as well. And another update over there at Texas as well is I also saw a piece about Isaiah Nayor actually looking pretty good. Apparently he's looking back up to speed. He's looking pretty good right now. He's a full year removed from that ACL. So he could play a factor this year. We'll see that that room is getting kind of crowded right now. Um, and the last little bit of news, um, heading over to Michigan, who else was starting their summer workouts. They had an interview with uh, with uh, Jim Harbaugh over there. He's saying J.J. McCarthy is looking magnificent this spring. He's taking another step forward. They're hoping to open up the playbook for him. And he did kind of allude to a little bit of a potential split backfield between Donovan Edwards and Blake Horn this year, saying that they don't want a guy taking 25 carries, 20 carries. They want it to be more around, you know, 13, 15 between the two of them. So maybe they might not be the big CFF superstars that we're used to, but we could see a little bit more of a split backfield uh, uh, from this uh, team. Uh, and just a reminder, guys, we did release the Debbie Guide on May 1st, uh, just about 250 profiles, uh, advanced stats, rankings, year one zero theory, everything you need to know to attack your drafts this offseason. That's a $20 one-time purchase uh, or become a member with many of our subscription options, some of which include access to this guide, as well as our supplemental freshman guide, which is very good right now, and our upcoming CFF guide, which you can now pre-order. It's dropping on July 1st. Get access to all the awesome tools you see posted all over Twitter as well. Um, make sure you guys are also checking out our family of podcast the youtube channel we're keeping you guys up to date on everything that's going on throughout this offseason what's coming up around the corner is fourth of july the number one holiday for dads to flex on other dads with their barbecue skills and you know what else is going to complete that is home field apparel when that dad is rocking that retro college athletic wear with his home field apparel just flexing on those other dads flipping those burgers Throwing some hot dogs over, you know, over on the grill, baby back ribs, rocking that vintage Kentucky Wildcat shirt, whatever, whatever university you want. They have it there. Homefield Apparel, 
is an official partner of Campus to Can. We have a promo code for you. It's Campus, the number two, and then Canton for 15% off your very first purchase at Homefield Apparel. So make sure you load up, all right? Just get all the presents and stuff for all the holidays coming. Everyone's birthday's coming up. Just load up on that one shopping cart. Get a big one going and just send it, all right? Homefield Apparel, retro athletic gear. Corey, before we get into talking about the Pac-12, I did have an interesting text conversation here with Felix, and I just want to talk about it. It's, it's, it's for everyone listening. Don't be afraid to ask questions about someone's rankings because everyone ranks players differently. There's some Debbie guys that rank players based off of projected draft capital because that's the number one indicator for success. It's, it's just the number one thing. You would rather a first-round wide receiver than a seventh-round wide receiver. Everybody knows that. It's, it's, it's mostly common knowledge. Uh, Felix texts me, you know, he's asking me about a Debbie profile we wrote in the guide for Jeremiah Smith. He said, you know, basically that I said he's a complimentary piece, but I also wrote that he's has a low ceiling and he's asking, wouldn't that make them a high ceiling if you believe they're an NFL wide receiver two or three, which is what I wrote in the guide. And I still do believe that for Jeremiah Smith. Uh, the thing is, Jeremiah that Hunter, look at, by the way, we're talking, what about did I say? Jeremiah Smith, Jeremiah Smith like three oh, times. Matt, Matt Bruning's in the background here. Anyway, <laughs> Jeremiah Hunter though. Um, if you look at the bottom half of passing offenses, go Buckeyes. Have a great job. <laughs> if you look, if you look at the bottom half of NFL passing offenses, the Saints are at like 16, right? They're at a little bit of less than 4,000 uh, passing yards for the whole entire season. The number two receiving option is Juwan Jones, like 500 yards. And if you go below that for the Cardinals, it's like, well, they had some injuries. So I'm gonna skip them over. But the Cowboys are at 17 or 18, and, and number two for them was was Dalton Schultz with 577. So the number two for these bottom half offenses are all in the 500s. They have a handful of touchdowns. Those guys at best are flex fill-ins. And you're just praying when you put them in your flex that it's one of their touchdown days. So that's why I don't consider the wide receiver twos for NFL offenses generally as high ceiling players, unless they're like dynamic twos. But otherwise, I'm aiming for the wide receiver one option for each team. When I rank players or talk about players, like I, I have, I have a lot of no-name guys in front of name players. For example, Dorian Singer, because I don't think Dorian Singer is a wide receiver two, three at the next level, and I, I think that might even be his absolute ceiling. I mean, his absolute ceiling. So I'd rather have. I'm just going to use a guy that I talk about way too often, Camden Brown, who did flash a little bit. He should be the number one <laughs> in his offense this year, and it's a mystery box item. I, he might be even worse than Dorian Singer, but I, I think the potential for him to be better is on the table. So I'd rather the guy that I think is a little bit of a mystery and rank him higher than rather than the guy that I'm pretty confident. I know his skill set is, I know he's going to be at the next level and I'm pretty confident I'm projecting how he's going to translate. Yeah, no, I think we've talked about this a little bit before and it's about uh, the, the general draft strategy too, is, you know, guys that are going to get drafted, some guys weight that a little bit more, even if you, if they're going to be a day three pick, as long as they're going to get to the NFL. And I think in deeper leagues, like a C2C league where almost your entire roster is coming over. There is, there is use in guys like that. You want to get your, uh, your wide receiver threes on your team, the guys who can be spot starters for you. Cause it's very hard to build depth that way. But in general, I'm kind of on your wavelength here. Like I would rather shoot for upside, you know, a guy that's been talked about a lot, especially over the last week, you know, Debbie debate was talking about a lot. Marquise Irving. I understand he's put up good production. I understand that he, 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 caught a lot of passes as well, but this guy is small. He bounces plays to the outside. I think he's going to be a day three pick at the NFL level. Yes. He's going to make the NFL. He's going to make it to our rosters, but at what level is he going to produce on the NFL? Is he going to be a starter for you, especially with the way the running back position is like, if you don't have an elite profile at running back, like I'm going to drop you down all the way down and I'm going to shoot for upside with somebody who's unknown 
and could hopefully break out into a little bit later and become, you know, a potential day two pick, a, a round two pick, something like that. You know, I think shooting for upside is the way that I prefer to go when I'm kind of evaluating these players. And uh, Justin Hunter, like I kind of agree with you. He's kind of like on that wavelength of like a Jeremiah Hunter. So, yeah, you yeah. messed up too. It's Jeremiah Hunter. You said Justin Hunter. See, look at it. We're messing up his name all over the place. <laughs> this is your guy, too. We can't be messing up his name this much. Yeah. But no, I, gen- I generally agree with, with what you're saying. And I-, I think people just weight that differently. Some people will put more weight on the fact that they're going to make the NFL and they're going to get to our teams. I can understand that in deeper leagues. But if I'm just playing like a pure Debbie league, like I want to shoot for those stars. And if I miss, then I miss. But at least I'm shooting for a little bit higher. And I, there are number twos that are dynamic, so I don't want to like poo-poo on all the number twos in the league. There are guys that profile as super dynamic number twos. Like, for example, Devonta Smith. Like, he is the number two for the Eagles. He was a wide receiver three in his rookie year. And I I don't know what the consensus decision is on this, but I don't think Devonta Smith would have seen the success he had this year without A.J. Brown operating in the slot there. So, I well they kind of switched off, but you understand what I'm saying. He's number two in that offense, but still finished as the wide receiver 10. So there are dynamic number twos and there are high volume passing offenses like, like the Bengals, like T Higgins is technically according to the numbers. He's the wide receiver two for that offense, but he was a thousand yard receiver. I so, think a better, I think a better way to say it is that you're expecting like a wide receiver three fantasy wise, wide receiver three, four, instead of saying it like yeah. a wide receiver two NFL wide receiver two, you know what I mean? Cause that's, that probably just gets a little bit confusing, but well, you know, your, what your expectations are is that he's more of a depth wide receiver for your fantasy team that could maybe be a spot starter for you. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's really, it. I just want to talk about player evaluation and how we talk about players. Cause if you look at my rankings, like they're pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> you're insane, so. They look, they look insane. Um, <laughs> But I just I just think we know enough about some players that we can um yeah. not write them off, but I can scoot them down to the side a little bit. It's always good to have different outside. opinion. It's always good to have different opinions anyways when it comes to this yeah. stuff. So let's get into it. Let's get into the Pac-12. And uh, just because we talked about Jeremiah's, Jeremiah Hunter <laughs> to start off, we're going to start off with Cal here. New OC, Jake Spativil. Spavidal. Spavidal, thank you. Uh, comes on over. Billy Musgrave is out. Uh, so Jake comes over from Texas State, 2019 to 2022. And then before that, as as a head coach, by the way, head coach of Texas State. And then before that, from 2017 to 2018, he was the West Virginia OC. 2016, he was the Cal OC. And before that, 2013 to 2015, the Texas A&M OC. Um, Justin Wilcox is now hiring his third OC after firing the previous two during his Cal head coaching tenure. <laughs> He's starting off by giving off these Mario Cristobal vibes here. I, I love I love Nate Marquise's work here on, on the uh, site. Um, but these offenses have underperformed and no matter his OC of choice here. So uh, they bring in the recent fired head coach of Texas State. That's Spavital, just fired from Texas State. So he gets brought over after his offense finished 13th out of 14 teams in the Sun Belt <laughs> Conference. So... I'm not very excited about this hiring. I don't understand it. Um, we will find out. We'll, we're going to find out this year. Uh, but let's start off with the QB position here. The QB brought in is the TCU backup QB, Sam Jackson. Five foot ten, like 180, small dude. Uh, very electric as a runner. Not so much as a thrower here. Do you, do you think there's any QB in this room that's a Debbie asset here? Uh, no, I actually thought that they got some recruit, but I was looking and I couldn't find anything. I don't know if you know any of that, but I can't remember. I, I couldn't find any recruit. I, th- I thought they'd 
got a commitment at one point, but um, Sam Jackson himself entering his third year here now, I, w- I was more interested uh, at TCU and I kind of saw him doing some of those packages and stuff, but then I realized how small he is. He's listed 5'11", 195. You know, he looks, he looks okay. every bit of that. I would wonder if he's actually even, even there. Right. But like you said, you know, uh, electric runner, um, TCU used him in those packages over the last two years, like as a rusher and as a passer too, he threw a couple passes. Um, I thought this was kind of, uh, interesting actually looking at his profile he was actually a wide receiver in high school uh i didn't know that uh, only started his last season in high school as a as a quarterback but as a sophomore in high school he caught 50 receptions for 847 yards 14 touchdowns in illinois highest level of competition as a wide receiver so like maybe there's a there's a thing here you know where this guy who gets uh asked to uh, asked to try the wide receiver position in the future given his size kind of like malik cunningham from uh louisville um, I think he's trying out some wide receiver snaps in New England's camp right now. Um, so that could kind of be the realm uh, of possibility for Sam Jackson. But that's probably the only potential I see here as a Debbie, as a Debbie aspect. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the running back room here. This one's going to be fun because we talk about this one a lot. <laughs> they have a lot of names here. They have Justin Williams Thomas, who's transferred in from Tennessee. We we're both fans of him as a recruit. I think he was inside my top 10. I believe he was inside Corey's top 10, too, yep. as a true freshman. Uh, Jaden Ott was kind of a surprise breakout last year. And then you have Byron Carwell, another fan of both of ours, but from Oregon. Uh, this is a very crowded running back room. Aren't, did they bring in another guy? They? Uh, they brought in King Doru or whatever, which is not yeah. a guy that I really, I'm not too concerned with, but he could still be like good depth here or whatever. And who knows, even climb up above Cardwell to number two or something for all I know. Jay, we'll talk Jaden Ott to start off because he, he had a breakout last year. He had one massive game against Arizona for like 200 plus yards. It was an amazing game. Yeah, close Outside to 300, of that, I believe, yeah. Oh yeah. Outside of that, though, I, I think he was he was very inefficient. Uh, do you have the numbers in front of you, Corey? It looks like you're. Uh, yeah. So uh, I have the game log right in front of me here. Um, that one game against Arizona, 274 yards and three touchdowns. Outside of that, his first game against UCD. Um, uh, non-conference game there uh, 17 carries for 104 yards never touched 100 yards again for the rest of the season actually only topped 70 yards one extra t- one more time this the rest of the season so this was a guy who was a little bit inefficient you know and, and we noticed it too we've talked about it run uh, inefficient in between the middle a guy who liked to bounce outside uh, a lot didn't look comfortable running in between the tackles he caught some passes which was nice to see um i will say for what it's worth i mean he's a freshman he has good size six foot 205 pounds he could definitely get better um, as we go here, the usage is very encouraging, at least this early on. And everything you read coming out of uh, Cal right now is they're they're fully behind Jay Nott as a guy. And maybe it's because of the lack of, of lack of really anybody else who's there. They really don't have anybody else there. But uh, they're really getting behind him as being the guy. I mean, uh, I talked about a little bit earlier in some some earlier shows. Uh, they're doing like some kind of experiment where a lot of these starters are in this big house together. Jay Nott's one of them. Jeremiah Hunter's one of them. Sam Jackson's one of them. Um, so to, to really kind of gain chemistry between the between the group. So it, it really seems like they're getting behind him as the guy. So he's going to have every chance to kind of prove us wrong about what we kind of think of him so far yeah so i i do think he can add to his frame i think somebody else in the company commented i think he had a small frame i thought his frame could add weight to it so yeah. we hope he becomes more efficient as a runner i just i know Corey and i believe that physicality well we're running down the middle is so important to be a workhorse running back at the next level and we just haven't seen it here outside of poor matchups he's been very inefficient so I, I'm afraid he might just be a pass catching running back at the next level. And I think that's probably the most likely course of action. Uh, in that case, he's probably more like a day three guy in my book. But um, 
I think he has both of our votes to still be the lead running back in this uh, room and the best bet to be a Debbie asset. It seems like they're bringing in a lot of guys, but at the same time, they also just didn't have anybody. So they got to fill it with depth. Um, and, and, you know, like you're saying, Byron Cardwell, for anybody who doesn't know, he was a guy we're excited about because, you know, Oregon, he, there was like a brief three game stint where he was kind of the starter and looked really good. And then following that, he just never really got a chance for some reason. I don't ended up in the coach's doghouse, dealt with some injuries as well. Um, and then transfers over here. He's had up and down spring. He had some really good games. I remember put up a lot of yards in a scrimmage one time. And then the next scrimmage, he like fumbled twice and stuff. So he's had a really up and down spring. Um, Justin Willis Thomas has been hurt this whole spring as well. So we haven't heard any buzz about them. So now they bring in King Doru. I think they're just looking for somebody to kind of step up as the, num- the number two there and possibly push. I mean, for what it's worth, projected depth charts, I did look at them. They still projecting Byron Cardwell as the second guy. Um, so uh, maybe he can uh, make us look smart a little bit for, for being on his side for this long. I do think there's potential that they're looking for a thumper, like doing a split backfield. But yeah. I don't, I don't think they have their thumper yet. But uh, let's go to the wide receiver room. We just talked about Jeremiah Hunter a little bit earlier here, but just as a player, um, sat out of COVID, which was only four games for the Pac-12 anyway. So um, I think that gives him a free pass for uh, being a year one zero. That's usually what we've been doing anyway. Uh, but then 388 yards year two, and then by year three, a thousand yard receiver here. This is what Jack Plummer last year. So Jeremy Hunter was super productive and he was productive against good corners too, against like, uh, Gonzalez, who just was a first round pick for the New England Patriots. He put up 98 yards and a touchdown against Oregon. He's been productive and the wide receiver one for this offense every single week last year with the exception of two. So 10 out of 12 weeks, he was the number one guy. And obviously that should continue. Um, but we just talked about Sam Jackson. So I'm a little bit worried about if I'm worried about the offensive structure here with, with the new OC, uh, the prior quarterback was Shaq Plummer, who was very much a statue in the pocket. So he's more than happy to just sling that ball all the time. So it could be, could be much less volume for Hunter, but I'm looking for him to at least keep up the efficiency. And I, I think, as I stated earlier in the episode, I do think he has a skill set to be a wide receiver two or three on an NFL roster. Um, but he's free in drafts. I've seen him go super undrafted uh, multiple times when it comes to startups and then supplemental drafts. I'm doing my third one right now, but I see him go in the fourth and in the fifth. I I think he's a senior bowl invitee and I think he gets his name called. I think he potentially has his name called day two could be early day three. Yeah. So the good with Hunter uh, looking at the stat sheet, at least um, third in the pack 12 in yards per out run with 2.57. That's a good number. Only two drops on 87 targets. Another really great number. Fifth leading wide receiver in the pack 12, third highest grade by PFF for wide receivers, which I know we don't always like the grade, but I thought I'd just shoot him some, some, some love there. Uh, the bad side, 4.3 yards after the catch per reception. That's 33rd in the pack 12. So not a guy that's doing a lot after the catch eight missed tackles forced 14th, in the Pac-12, so not a guy that's causing a lot of missed tackles after as well, and a guy who's almost 90% outside, you know, kind of a little bit of lack of versatility um, moving around the lineup a little bit, so he could kind of just profile as more of like a depth boundary wide receiver at the next level, Um, but I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. He's definitely flashed. I think there's some juice there, some sneaky juice there too. He seems to separate like the longer the route goes. I don't know if he has enough like crazy burst off the line, but the longer the route goes, he seems to get separation at the top of the route, which I like to see. Um, uh, seems like a strong guy in contested catch situations as well, even though he wasn't credited with many of them, at least I think he was only like a, a 60 per 50% guy 
um, catching contested catches. So uh, I'm interested at least. The only other guy here that I guess being that flashed a little bit for me, at least when I was, we'll get into UCLA and J. Michael Sturdivant a little bit later, but watching his tape and watching Jeremiah Hunter was, was Maven Anderson just a little bit, but um, the profile really doesn't look that good. You know, he's entering his third year. He doesn't really have any, any production really, but he did flash a couple of times. There was a catch here. There was, there was a catch there where a big play here that he kind of jumped off the screen. Do, uh, do you have anything on, on Maven Anderson that you like? Uh, no, and I think it's funny you mentioned him because I don't know if you listen to Campus Live today, but uh, Austin officially waved the white flag on Maven Anderson today. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's not much there, really. I was just uh, trying to look at some kind of other no. option. Yeah, he's entering his third-year redshirt freshman year. Didn't do anything his freshman year. I, I Just underdeveloped at this point in time, and it's Cal. Like, you, you don't really look at them to be like – you don't look at them to develop guys. Uh, they just no. kind of stumble upon stuff. So um, that's – Kind of fine. I was too, I mean, it was a deep shot, so it's kind of to be expected. All right, let's head on over to Washington State. New OC, Ben Armbuckle. The previous OC, Eric Morris, is gone, and I believe Eric Morris was tied to uh, current quarterback Cam Ward. We'll talk about that in a second, though. Eric Morris did come over from the FCS, similar to Zach Kittley. There has been some gold found in the FCS coaches. Uh, he brings over Cam Ward with him, who was the Jerry Rice Award winner. And those guys do have a decent Debbie history of actually working out for the NFL. But they really underperformed last year. We were all excited about Cam Ward. Uh, and it really just proved that he couldn't he couldn't throw the deep ball. He was very good short. He was a very good scrambler. He was very good pocket presence. Um, but the arm talent is just lacking. And Eric Morris wasn't the answer. Not that he did poorly. I just don't think he was the answer to the struggles here. So, uh, but another rising star in the coaching ranks, Arbuckle is just 27 years old and was an assistant coach at the high school level as recently as 2020, 2022 Western Kentucky OC 2021. He was the Western Kentucky quality control. And then in 2020, he was the Seminole high school offensive coordinator. Um, this guy is a rising star here. Western Kentucky has been just a staple in air raid offenses here. So, Let's go ahead, Corey. Corey, tell me more about Cam Ward. Yeah, you know, sometimes when I think about Cam Ward, I think that there's not enough leniency given for, for the massive jump that he's made. I mean, remember, you look back at this this kid's like backstory. This was a kid who played in like a triple read option offense in high school, didn't throw the ball a ton, then went to Incarnate Ward and, and threw it a whole bunch, but in a very, very good system for a quarterback play, a very low level of competition as well. Um, and he was throwing the deep ball there. He was had no problem doing it. And now he comes over here and just – kind of you know everything's moving a little faster defense is a little bit better the athletes are a little bit better he just seems to be kind of tentative to pull that trigger on the deep ball you know he can extend the play like crazy really good pocket presence which like a lot of guys don't have a lot of guys can't do that they get sacked in the pocket it's one of the main things that ruin nfl quarterbacks once they get to the next level cam ward has that man it's very good the way he can extend plays um it's very mahomesian i i don't care about saying it but it is when he some of the houdini stuff you can see you look up his name you look at my twitter i have a clip of it of a i, I cut a bunch of his is houdini plays very good stuff. But again, yeah, just a guy who's afraid to push the ball down the field. I was hoping they were going to bring in some weapons for him to hopefully help open up a little bit, but they really didn't get any big time names. They got a couple transfers. They got a couple guys that we're kind of excited for. We can kind of, you know, bounce this into the wide receiver room here. I don't know if there's anybody you're excited about here. You know, they, they bring in Josh Kelly from, I believe, Fresno State. They bring in uh, Kyle Williams from UNLV. Um, and then DT Sheffield is a guy who's been um, getting a lot of love, at least from the CFF community. Is there anybody here that you're kind of into? 
No, not at all. And I, I really am just following the CFF community. So I haven't, I haven't looked at them at all. I didn't even read the articles myself, but it has been DT Sheffield that has been talked about the most. There was a true freshman there that was a safety converted, and I want to look at his his tape because he had like two hundred some receiving yards. So I, I should have done my homework and brought up his name, but I looked at him a long, long time ago. And I was just super unimpressed with his tape, so I didn't obviously didn't bother remembering his name. But they are looking for some guy there, so maybe someone does come out of the woodwork there i just don't think so and it is a shame that cam ward doesn't have good supporting pieces around him because sometimes a good wide receiver really does elevate a uh you know a middling quarterback or a struggling quarterback they can really help out with that yeah and there's maybe some upside here like i believe sheffield's a juco guy so maybe there's a little bit of a mystery box there what we can see can happen to him um seems to be like he's going to be the go-to guy he's 5'10 172 pounds so he's a smaller guy again so he's already not starting on a great track for as a devi asset um, Josh Kelly, more of a boundary waters here from Fresno. I'm not like super excited about him. He just kind of seems like a possession guy. Kyle Williams, maybe a guy, 6'1", 185, entering his fourth year. Yeah, he was a I big name. It's like freshman yeah. year. Yeah, and he did actually have a very hot start to last season. He was a very hot waiver pickup in C2C leagues uh, for a while. It didn't really consistently keep it going, but he's an interesting player, at least in, in this room, and in a room of names that we really don't care about. <laughs> uh we're done with Washington. We don't care about him. Stanford, new OC, new head coach, Troy Taylor, another FCS hire. This guy comes from Sacramento State. Last three years, so 2019 to 2022, Sacramento State. Before that, 2017 to 2018, the Utah offensive coordinator. And then the 2016, he was with Eastern Washington. So David Shaw moves on after 15 years of calling plays at Stanford. He's had some great success. I mean, uh, CMC. Uh, the quarterback from the Colts, his name's last name is coming out of like Andrew. I can't remember his first name. David Shaw has had some success here. It's just the wheels have fallen off the bus at this point. Troy Taylor is a former California high school coaching legend, set numerous state scoring records. Uh, Taylor also has, I mean, he has a massive undertaking of his hands. Not only has Stanford fallen behind in talent, but Taylor will be attempting to make a seismic shift in systems he installed. So he has a spread counter scheme. It's constant of air raid, RPO, and quarterback speed options. Expect the following changes that are significant. Different from what we've seen here at Stanford, though. It's going to be a heavy influence on the QB run game. So Asher O'Hara averaged 190 rush attempts the last two seasons at Sacramento State. And Tyler Huntley, yes, Tyler Huntley from, well, last year's Pro Bowl, uh, averaged 168 rush attempts in his two seasons as a play caller at Utah. And then the wide receiver position. Now, he's had success there too. Cooper Cup from Eastern Washington. He was the coach for Cooper Cup at Eastern Washington. Then you had Britton Covey at, at Utah. His system has been elite at the FCS level and at the high school level. Now we're going to be able to have a front row seat to see if it's going to be elite at the power five level here with Stanford and the Cardinals. I have to really give a special shout out again, just to Nate Marquise. Like this is again, all stuff from his coaching changing articles. His, his work is phenomenal. You have to go check it out, read the whole thing in detail. Don't just listen to me, paraphrase it. Uh, but that all that research is what he's done, which makes it easy for me to just read off the screen and just give it to you guys on audio. But Back to Stanford here, the QB room. Corey, is there anyone you're looking at for the QB room here? 
Um, I would say that uh, maybe if you're looking towards the future, there's a couple of guys. But, I mean, um, they kind of have a quarterback competition right now between the guy Ari Patu, or I don't really know how to say his name, and another guy, I can't even remember his name right now. But these are two guys that, I w- looking at their profiles, wasn't super interested in. Uh, Miles Jackson is a four-star coming in this year. He has a little bit of a, a mobility to him. I'm trying to think of guys who can maybe fit that more of a, of a rushing game role um, uh, like the new uh, OC likes to do here. Um, but I think the other guy, you know, we're not really a, a show that likes to look past the the incoming freshman class, at least. But they did just get a commitment from um, a very high-ranking quarterback, 247's number three quarterback um, coming in in 2024, uh, 6,200 pounds, Elijah Brown, uh, a guy who's played well against really tough competition, he, uh, coming from Matter Day, um, has started every game since his freshman season as well. So a guy who kind of has like that Dante Moorish, like really a lot of experience at a at high level of competition play. Um, and 247 really likes this kid. So this guy could really be the future of this team. I'm kind of looking ahead as long as that commitment kind of stays in. But for now, nobody really in this room right now that I'm super excited about. I'm with you there. Didn't even bother looking up names. So thank you for all your input there. <laughs> <laughs> Going over to the running back room though. Uh, I'm not a fan of, Let's just talk about it. We'll talk about EJ Smith, right? Emmett Smith's son, another bloodline that no one really cares about because they're not on the front line news the way Marvin Harrison is. But EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's son, uh, is here. He's entering, is he entering his fourth year with like less than 100 carries to his name? Yes, he is. So he looked okay last year for his first two games before he got hurt. He was very involved in the receiving game. Love to see that. He's currently listed at six foot two ten. I don't know if I really believe in that size, but that's what he is. Um, Corey, do you have any opinion on EJ Smith? I do actually. This is a guy that I still have a little bit of sliver of hope for. Um, you know, the extensive use as a pass catcher in high school and even early in his career at Stanford. That was kind of how he got on the field early on. Uh, was as a pass catcher before he kind of had to wait his turn till last year when he finally got his chance to start. Uh, 269 yards through those first two games and four touchdowns. Um, and then, of course, had the end of school's injury. Still not even sure what that injury was, but he did return to practice at the end of this spring. Um, he looks like he's going to be full go for fall camp when it starts. So, um, you know, I just I just think he's a really interesting, like I, I find him a very patient running back. I, he kind of reminds me of a slasher, not a guy who's going to wiggle a ton like in the open field. Um, and he has that pass catching upside. And if he's listed at, if he is the size he's listed at, he has a really interesting set of tools here that I think that are kind of like untapped. I just wish like this is a guy I just kind of wish we could at least get a full season of so I could get the proper evaluation on him. And then for now, I'm 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 still kind of holding the torch just because we haven't seen it. That's yeah. I mean, he's going to his fourth year. So usually I like the mystery box. I don't think I like fourth year mystery boxes, though. Um, it's all about context for me. I mean, two years okay, waiting yeah. his turn. He did get his chance last year and looked really good for the first two weeks and then had an injury. So it's like, is that really his fault? It looks like he was well onto his way to a breakout last year, at least in it my was, opinion. It was USC and Colgate were his two games. And he also had three fumbles, too, in his two games. That uh, is an issue. The fumbling is an issue for him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely an issue for him. But I mean, you can only play who puts you who put on the schedule. There's no telling what he would have done as the season continued. That's can't yes, really I can agree with that. You know I, I mean? can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I have him ranked. I'm be honest with you. I'm not even sure if I. I think I have that's him like tier, super. That's a tier six running back in our guide, man. Put him in your ranking. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I put him in tier eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh fun. man. Um, wide receivers you got any interesting names here you like well i want to just say justin williams thomas could have been the running back in his room for about yeah one which week. would have been better which would have been yeah 
would have loved that. Thanks, Justin. Um, I do have a deep. I have a deep shot at wide receiver here. Mm-hmm. I I haven't been giving deep shots lately, or I haven't been giving enough. Um, but this is a true freshman coming in. Jackson Harris. Alyssa is an athlete. I want to say he's like the overall like players number seven hundred. I mean, he is deep. So he's a three-star athlete, true freshman. He's six foot three, hundred and ninety-five pounds. So mid three-star. Our recruiting team has clocked him at twenty-one point five miles per hour at that size. And not only that, his production profile is seventy-three receptions for a thousand four hundred ninety-two receiving yards and twenty-four touchdowns as a senior. And then on huddle, he also has a self-proclaimed four or five forty. So which I think, you know, judging off his miles per hour time, I think I can believe that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna doubt that one. Ultra productive. The tape looks pretty good too. The issue is that when you look at who he's playing, you can tell this is not good competition. And then I went to go look at the strength of schedule because I, I asked Big Wide Receiver guy, one of our recruiting team members, uh, what the competition was, because I was like, this can't be good competition. I mean, he's in California, but this can't be good competition. His strength of schedule, Corey, was negative twelve. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, you know but he's smashing the competition which is what we want um but again three-star great athlete there's no one in this wide receiver room it's really barren uh we just had elijah higgins go we had michael wilson go both of them actually got drafted michael wilson was a third round draft pick he had a phenomenal off season so uh good for him love talking to him at the senior bowl as well really nice guy um but this is this is a story of opportunity and we have verified athletics. I got an even deeper one for you. <laughs> no, way. I'm giving some. I'm giving a shout out to our guy who came on during the analytics show to talk to us about everything out of the analytics. If you guys haven't checked out that one, it's called Mathing with Tim. That's Tim Alb came on our show to talk about uh, modeling analytics. It was an absolutely great show. One of the wide receivers in his personal model that came out super high for him that he's been touting on Twitter. He's been touting everywhere. Tiger Bachmeyer, who I absolutely know nothing about, but I just want to give some love because I've seen his name being passed around Twitter a bit. I've seen him going in some drafts as well. He just went for a decent price in the auction in our C2C versus NIL league. Um, I know everybody kind of hates him because he is like an older prospect. I think he's like 19 years old, which is why our team is like pretty much off of him. But I know Tim doesn't, doesn't weight that as much in his modeling. So, um, you know, I, he, he's really high on this guy. He came out very high in his model. So, uh, and for what it's worth, looked up a projected depth chart. He's second team right now, and there's no listing of Jackson Harris anywhere. So uh, just just another name to kind of keep a lookout for. If you haven't, if you can't tell, we're not interested in the wide receivers that are currently in this room. They're going to be the starters this year. We're looking ahead, and that's, that's pretty much everything for Stanford. I think everything is kind of looking ahead with this team right now. Yeah, okay. So Tiger, I know Tiger Bachmeyer. Um, <laughs> I do know. Um, really diverse guy. Uh, there's just, there just weren't traits in my opinion. There weren't traits, but this dude also has like a weird resume of like, he plays every instrument and he has like all these like random hobbies. Like you read his resume and you're like, I'm so unaccomplished as an adult. This 18 years done more than I have. <laughs> yeah, uh, multi-talented. Man. Yeah. So that's, that's Tiger Bachmeyer. So he, he has a phenomenal, uh, production profile. Uh, also Jackson Harris is coming in the summer. That's why he's not on the oh, okay, website yet. All right, let's. Uh, we're shooting from deep, so that's fun, man. Let's get on to the next one, though. Let's talk about UCLA. No coaching changes. Let's get over to the quarterback room. Um, Colin Schley transfers in from Ball State. Early favorite to win the job because obviously it's a transfer. We just saw Dorian Thomas Robinson leave. They're very similar play style type players. Um, but 
we got Corey here with the news. We got Matt with the news. And none of the news has been too positive for Colin Schley. It's all been about Ethan Garbers. And we all, I think we all agree that no one's excited about Garbers. So we're looking at five-star incoming fresh and Dante Moore. This makes me feel really good that Dante Moore is going to take over sooner rather than later. Because the whole thing was like, Schley should take over. And I think we know what Garbers is not or, or is. Uh, so I think Dante Moore can take over here sooner rather than later. I don't know how soon, but definitely before the end of the season. Yeah, Ethan Garbers is kind of the epitome of that guy who is the vet that's in the way that just kind of knows the system very well, um, has been in it for a while. So he looks good in practice. He's been the most consistent. That's like the main word you hear in every Sean, reporter. Sean saying. Clifford. The Sean yeah, Clifford. Yeah, like he's West. just been consistent. He's just been more consistent with the guys. Well, yeah, no kidding. He's been the only guy who's been in this offense uh, other than the other two guys who are coming in out of nowhere. Yeah, like you said, Colin Schley has not had the greatest spring. He's been all over the place. Apparently his accuracy has been really bad. There has been some times near, near the end of spring where they were saying that arm talent was starting to come out a little bit but uh yeah i'm just not i'm just not there with colin shilly anyways it seems like he's falling down this list um dante moore was really interesting though um he started out the spring pretty hot it almost seemed like he could like be in contention for like a week one start here and you know we we had looked at the history of chip kelly you know he he hooked himself to dorian thompson robinson as a, as a true freshman um no, as a first, redshirt freshman redshirt no freshman. as dorian thompson robinson was a true freshman marcus mariota was a redshirt freshman that he hooked himself to right, but right. he came in not seeing a snap of it, marcus mariota that was his first year ever playing or uh, coaching oregon and he hooked himself to a quarterback he had no, he knew nothing about neon car so he, he he'll go with the guy that he believes is is the best guy i thought this was was pretty interesting though reading um reading a review about the spring they were talking about dante moore looked really good um and then they kind of what i would describe as a little bit of arm fatigue from dante moore this has been kind of one of the things about his profile that has stuck out a little bit um people have had some questions about the arm strength, the arm talent a little bit like that. doesn't really show up a lot of the time on tape, but apparently throughout the spring towards the end, this beat reporter from 247 said that he was failing to kind of rifle it into those tight windows the same way he was doing it at the beginning. There was more balls floating. There was more balls being floated enough for a DB to make a play on it. And that kind of happened towards the end of camp where it kind of seemed like they were describing his arm kind of got tired on him. And I'm just kind of wondering if that's something that we have to be taking more seriously in, in his profile. Um, is the arm talent for fully there? Does he lack upside because he doesn't have, you know, the physically imposing tools of a lot of these other guys near the top, you know, six two two ten. Hopefully he, he is the size that he's listed at, but uh, are you worried at all with the arm talent? Do you think that there, this strikes you as more of a high floor guy than more of a high ceiling guy? Yeah, no, I always thought he was more of a high floor guy. He's definitely a field general type of guy, a, a game manager. But like we always thought he maybe was a little bit more of a plus game manager, not just yeah, your average I think that, guy yeah, there. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, and then um, you know, this is like we talked about thresholds a couple episodes ago, but there's only so many first round quarterbacks. I mean, like a stat class, we see like five. You know, we do like this class, so there are guys that are going to fall off. Give me surprise, some surprise fall offs as well, like he. Yeah, so I, I, I could see him fall off purely because of arm talent here. Um, it could happen. But I'm not moving in my rankings. I think I have him still in my top 10. I don't think I'm going to move him out of there. No. Um, but it's definitely a concern to watch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and then just to give him a love, very experienced guy coming from high school, uh, two championships, I believe, started all his four years as well in varsity, if I'm not mistaken. So very experienced guy coming from a high-level competition as well. Um, 
has all the tools and, you know, the maturity was really talked about during the spring too, as a guy who, who's really taking everything um, the right way coming into the, into, um, into college for his first year here. So this, I, I think that we do do see him sooner than later. I'm still not saying week one is out of the question, to be honest with you, but I, it's looking further away than it was at the beginning of the, of the spring. Yeah. I like that. I'm with you. Um, heading over to the running back room, another transferring controversial here. We have a spring competition between Carson Steele, Ball State, G5 running back transferring in, uh, and TJ Harden, who was the back up to, oh my gosh, Zach, Zach Charbonnet. Charbonnet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he profiles, actually both these guys, profile very similar to Zach Charbonnet. TJ Harden did come in relief towards the end of the year as a true freshman. I think he had two, I want to say he almost had 200 yards between the two games, but it was a very high efficiency uh, two games, along with some receiving work, uh, but similar to Zach Sharp, they're kind of like dump offs. He was in the open area, has some nice yak ability there because he's he's six foot two ten already. Like he's already a freight train. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the reports are that Carson Steele is struggling, uh, not not heavily, but like it, the word is like Harden Harden's number one. Is that right? Is TJ Harden like the the word down the street is that he's the number one in the system? Well, he's pushing for sure. It sounds like I don't know if it's going to be a split or anything. It's not really like their mo there. They usually kind of like to lean on one guy. I'm not really sure where this is headed, but Harden has definitely got the positive, the positive press. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit with Steele that a lot of the things centered around him are very low gravity, low center of gravity type of guy. Big bruising back is very aggressive. That tough running style, you know, not a lot of words about him being explosive or him being dynamic or him being a weapon. And they're gonna, you know rely on this guy heavily. And I mean, this is a guy coming from Ball State. I think we were a little bit worried about the athleticism translating to the next level. Um, and, and this guy that is more of a tough runner, right? Almost 70% of his yards coming after contact when he was at Ball State or four yards per carry after contact. Um, so that was very part of his game. But at the same time at Ball State, almost 90 missed tackles forced over there. I don't think that athleticism is going to translate um, to the power five level. Cause I just don't, I, I think once that jump up in competition against those defenses, I don't think he's going to be able to dance around the same way that he is hopeful. And I think that's kind of coming out um, in spring already. And he's also had a little bit of a fumbling problem this spring. Apparently that's he, having trouble holding onto the ball. That's not going to get you a lot of carries, but TJ Harden, I know he's one of your guys. I, I, I you know, I, when we looked at some of those games, he did do some nice things. His running style is still very weird to me, though. Like, <laughs> when I look at him, he almost, like, uh, I'm not a fan of Roshan Johnson. So I so when I say this, when I, when I compare him to Roshan Johnson, I think they kind of look like clunky runners a little bit. Like, like maybe he's still fine. Literally, his feet kind of go all over the place. His arms are all over the place. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's very weird and clunky. I think he can, I def- definitely think he can refine his game a little bit more. He's still a young guy as well, too. Has the better, has a nice frame as well to build it. Too. Yeah, I will see, actually. Go ahead. Sorry, he, he's like surprisingly efficient. Like every single yes. time, it's just like he picks the right direct, like the right move every single time. And you're just like, this won't fly at the NFL. Like this can fly in like college, but like he's just capitalizing off of defenders' mistakes. Yeah, and again, very good, uh, a very good uh, offensive line opening up holes for them there. They were doing it for Charbonnet for the last two years. Oh, yeah. Same thing happening over here for TJ Harden as well. So uh, I'm still not sure about the Debbie potential of this room, but yes, it does look like Harden's pushing steel more than we thought entering the season. I did get to write uh, Carson Steele's profile for that guy two years in a row now. I wrote him down as a true freshman. Uh, I, I thought he was excellent at navigating chaos. I, I didn't think he had good footwork or whatever. It's just in the Mac, it looks like every single play breaks down, and it's just a 1v1 across the board. Like, you know, every mm-hmm. lineman is just not working as a team, just working as an individual. And he just 
was very good at navigating the chaos and getting pretty consistent chunk yardage. There was no burst. There was no athleticism. He just took what was given to him, and he was very good at navigating. I thought year two he got some better footwork, but, again, pretty much the same. He's just navigating the chaos that's created in, in Mac offenses versus Mac defenses. Um, and so, yeah, I, I imagine with these better defenders in the power five that he should struggle. And, and this is kind of, you know, this is the tale of G5 to P5. Like he's struggling with the game speed and everything else, everything else that Corey just listed off. So I, I'm, I'm on board with Harden. Like Harden against Cal, 12 for 90. Harden against Pittsburgh, 11 for 101, 111 and one. Dude was just really efficient. I'm with, I don't know what his his upside is, but like he's, I think he's worth it. He's got that workhorse size. We can figure it out later. Even if you get Roshan Johnson out of him by the time he goes to NFL draft, I think you'd be kind of happy with that because he's going yeah. pretty late. It's really great value there. For the um, price you're getting him at, yeah, that's a, if Roshan Johnson was his future fourth round pick in the NFL, I think he'd be pretty happy with with what where yeah. you're getting him right now. And then if he doesn't do that, I think you might have a CFF asset here for the next three years, and that's pretty that's pretty awesome too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, heading over to the wide receiver room. Um, I did look at the returning uh, production there because Jake Bobo is gone. Their top returner is a fifth year that hasn't eclipsed 400 yards receiving, and I just thought that was pretty amazing. Uh, so it's it's a wide open competition, but they do bring in transfer J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal. Uh, he's been a fan favorite for some people, not for me, but for some people he has been. He's six foot three and a half, two hundred pounds. He is a phenomenal athlete. He has a non-win-aided 10.49 100-meter. Um, I don't know what his mile per hour is off the top of my head. That's probably up there closer to like the upper 21s, maybe 22 mm-hmm. miles per hour as far as like a runner. Um, so he's a great athlete. I just – we haven't – he's a year one zero, and this wasn't COVID. This is just a straight-up year one zero. Um, and then last year, again, everyone's hyping him up, but like he couldn't beat out – Jeremiah Hunter, who everyone just doesn't think is is a Debbie asset for some reason. So um, he's been a number two in the system, and I just think he's been very uh, not phenomenal. He's just not been phenomenal. In his first year starting for the team, he goes off for 750 yards and leads the team in touchdowns. But no, he's not phenomenal. No. That's his Jeremiah, second year. That's his, that's second, his second year. So Jeremiah, well, so he was a redshirt freshman. Okay, I understand that we have the year one zero theory. I'm not yeah. going to hang my hat on that 100% all the time. And I don't understand why Hunter is so much better than Sturdivant when in their in his second season, he didn't even produce close to Sturdivant. So if we're going off of the exact same trajectory, wouldn't that wouldn't that propel him higher? I don't even know who's Cal's quarterback before Jack Plummer was. I'm pretty sure it was dysfunctional. It's usually dysfunctional. Jack Plummer was kind of a nice change of pace for them over there. I don't know. I I I I can't I can't get. But I think this whole thing for you I, I don't is just see, based I don't on see the, the fact refined. that you're. It's, I just think it's Hunter versus Sturdivant for you, and you're just like hating Sturdivant now. I don't understand. Like, there's he's so just much an up- athlete. There's so many there's, just athletes in the co- in college. There's he's just an athlete. There's nothing. Beat reporter saying quoted from quoted from beat reporters from J. Oh, Michael okay. Sturdivant. Expect this guy to only be here for one year. This is probably the one of the best receivers that's ever touched the field for UCLA. Um, Dude, they said the, this about Jake Bobo. They said this no, about who was it before? Not, they, they, they they, the, the only person they said that they compared him to was Jordan Lastly, who. Didn't have a good head on his shoulders. They even said that. He said when he had his head on right, that was the only other receiver that looked like J. Michael Sturdivant looks in this UCLA offense right now. Um, I think he's he's tremendous. He has size, 6'3", 205 pounds. He moves very well. He can do a lot of different things. Um, like you said, the 10.4, 100. He's a size speed freak. I think he's going to be 
well, I think he's going to be the number one option in this offense. I agree with that. Yeah. But I, how much production that'll be, I'm not too sure. I don't know if he'll be able to push for a thousand yards in this offense. I don't like, it's not really an offense that puts up a, a ton of numbers. I still think he's a name that's going to get a lot of attention based on his testing and based on how he, his size and everything that he has going on for him. I mean, I can't argue those points. I do think he's number one. I think he'd be a phenomenal tester. So I can agree with all that. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I have him, if I were to look at my rankings right now, I have him as a wide receiver 29. I don't even want to know where you have him. I see you. I see you over there looking for him. He's, he's 62. I'm 54. Close. What? How can you have 54 Wait. wide receivers being more interesting? Than Hold him? up. I'm moving Malachi Coleman in front of him. That's my bad. All right. 55. All right. Let's just move I got to get Coleman higher. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Otherwise, the only other wide receiver here that's interesting, oh. Kyle Ford, X five star wide receiver. Um, yeah. has dealt with injuries his whole freaking career at USC. Um, was a five-star receiver, number three wide receiver in 2019. That's how long ago that we've really even talked about him. Um, he just hasn't been able to get on the field. Um, but there's a lot of pedigree in this room, which was something they haven't had in a while. A lot of good talent in this room between Sturdivant, between Ford. Um, it could kind of be a breakout year for them, or it could not really work out. And it's kind of a dream team that never really goes anywhere. But we'll see what happens this year. I'm more optimistic about it than I am pessimistic. I do like pairing these ultra athletes with a game manager like Dante Moore. Like I feel like he'd be pretty smart in how he gets the ball to them. And yeah, I, I like I like the type of pairing. So I think it'll be all right. Uh, let's head on over to Washington. Uh, no coaching changes here. This is the Washington Huskies, by the way. Um, Michael Penix is the QB here to watch. He's getting some first round buzz right now. Corey, I just want to know, uh, come NFL draft time, what do you, what do you think about Michael Penix? Uh, I've always been in the camp that I think he's an interesting player. Um, a guy that I can write a lot of context for, you know, two ACL tears at Indiana. He definitely had some flashes over at Indiana too. I remember talking about a long time ago, my first Debbie podcast that I ever did, Debbie Spencer back in the day, we talked about him a little bit um, when he was at Indiana as a freshman too. So um, he, he he did some interesting things. It's like the, really the first year we said, we haven't seen him play more than six games a season. For his entire career, I mean, this is now he's going to be going into his fifth year. So his fourth year, he finally gets to, to start, and he does a lot of really nice things. Most passing yards um, in the country, I believe, or uh, at least in the Power Five. Um, second fewest sacks in the country too. So this is a guy who had pretty good pocket mobility, and you can see it on the tape. I mean, um, we're going to get into Romo Dunze. We decided to watch a couple of games of Romo Dunze to really talk about him a little bit. But you notice Michael Penix making plays a lot, getting out of the pocket, um, avoiding rushers. Like he does a really good job. And I was actually surprised by that by that stat. Third highest A dot um, in the Pac-12 as well. He got hit two one thousand yard wide receivers, so he was spreading the ball around. Another guy with almost seven hundred yards. Um, I saw anticipation. I saw arm strength. I saw I saw um, pocket presence. The main thing that worries me with him is his lower half. If you look at his legs when he sets to throw, man, those things are like, like they got to be underneath your shoulders. He's got like, it, it's hard to explain. He's like square when he's throwing them, and it, you, it affects his ball placement. That's the one thing with him is his ball placement. He's accurate, but the ball placement is just in the vicinity. It's not like – you'll see a lot of the time uh, Odunze adjusting to a low ball, uh, Jalen McMillan cradling a really low catch low to the ground or one that's too high above his head. It's the ball play, and I really think that it could be fixed with that lower half being um, being properly adjusted and being refined again, but this is only the one year. I think he's got some upside, man. I, 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 do, I don't know if I see first-round upside, but 6'3", 216 pounds. 
is putting up these kind of stats. Um, you can write some context for the, for the rest of the career. Another big thing is that lefty thing. Uh, I know some people don't, some people like it. Some people hate it. I don't know. It depends how you weight that for yourself, but I think he's going to kind of be more like in the Will Levis range. So maybe he's more like an early second. Um, maybe he gets that back of first hype, depending on teams. You know, sometimes they buy into these stats a lot of the time, but I, I don't think it's crazy. No, I'm with you there. I, I view him more similar to Hendon Hooker. Like I, I think he's a priority yeah. backup, a, a day two guy, um, may get a shot. I think the tools are there, but like obviously there's concerns about injury there. So um, no, I think you really nailed it across the board there. Um, but I, I, I do agree with the tool, like the tools. I, I, and the thing with the lefties, because Corey's kind of brushed over it, the ball leaves the hand different from lefties. So mm-hmm. wide receivers and former wide receivers will all say that it's just different catching balls from lefties. Now, Tua's doing it right now. He's a lefty. He's doing just fine. Uh, but before that, it was like Michael Vick. And there's just a huge gap or just like not enough lefties being successful in the nfl so it's it's i think it's a preference for a team not to try to make their wide receivers convert to lefties Mm -hmm. um that's just that's just more of an that's speculation i don't really know that but i I assume that that's a small thought that passes through their mind um so that's michael panics for me the other freshman that came in that read class is austin mack who's very young has pro well both these guys have prototypical size austin mack i think is listed at six foot six i'm not really sure if he's a true six foot six but he has the size, uh, very productive in his final year of high school ball. I want to say it was like something like 40 touchdowns and like two picks, like just an efficient passer. I haven't truly watched tape because he's just too young. I didn't really, I don't look that far deep, but I like that he early enrolled. He reclassed early enrolled. He will be sitting behind Michael Pennings for at least one more year. And then we're going to see him next year play some ball. So now Austin Mack is another guy that I think I have him inside my top 15. I probably might want to move him up to my top 10 for his class. But I'm into him mostly just because of production and because of size. Yeah, and because the system, right? I, get, I think once Penix moves on, we're going to want the next guy in the Kalen DeBoer system. We saw what he did for Penix. We're going to want the next guy to kind of come here. I, I, that might be Dylan Morris, who's the guy who's been back, who's been around the system for a long time and could possibly step in and be the guy. But Austin Mack is definitely probably the guy of the future that you want here. Um, number 16 QB in the country. Um, Colin Decker did his his uh, his profile for the Debbie guy. I thought he did a really nice job. Talks about a big arm pocket passer. Talks about him as pretty much he's a perfect kind of guy to step in for Michael Penix to be the next successor. His pocket passer loves to loves to take his vertical shot. So this could be the guy that you really want to be taking. I know some drafts aren't allowing it because of the rec- the reclassification. Like I just did the program draft, he wasn't allowed to be drafted. Um, so make sure you check your rules if you can be drafted. But this is a guy definitely, you know, in the mid rounds of your supplemental draft, get him on your roster. You have to wait a bit, but this could be a really nice hit for you in the future. I forgot to add him to my queue, so I just did that. <laughs> all right i really did um going over to the running back room i don't really have anyone i care too much about here i know they bring in a transfer um dylan from uh mississippi state mississippi state yeah thank Mm -hmm. you he was a juco guy wasn't too efficient mississippi state's not really known for having much of a running game anyway um but i'm generally disinterested in the running options here do you have anybody that you're really looking at for the running back room uh, well, I looked at the team just a little bit. Cover three, uh, the podcast, they're doing a great summer school series right now, by the way. It's absolutely filled with with good tidbits on every team. They just did a Washington one. Um, Cam Davis, a returner from last year, I think he's entering his fifth, fourth or fifth year. 
Um, the guys have been getting on me about that in the chat. I gotta, I gotta know my years better. <laughs> How long these guys have been? I did college already, but uh, I just shoot off the top here, man. I don't put a lot of stuff in front of me, but I think he's a fourth or fifth year player. He's apparently had the best ring he's ever had since being there. But I will say, with Dylan Johnson, he kind of seems like this guy that's was hampered by that system in Mississippi State. It's a bad system for running backs. I mean, it's a lot of swing out passes. It's a lot of they'll run you in short yardage situations, which was that was his role. And he was still pretty good with it. He still averaged a pretty good uh, chunk of yardage. Um, still did really good yards after contact as well. Um, but they're saying this beat reporter that I was listening to on the Cover 3 podcast, he was saying they're very high on him over at Washington. They think he's everything that they could want in a back, given that he – has a pass catching background. He's tough. Um, he's a tough runner down the middle as well. He has the size. He's not afraid of contact. He falls forward. You know, he's the type of guy that can really fit well in the system and grow in the system as well. So he hasn't been able to do much because he was a little bit dinged up in spring, but this could be a situation where he maybe kind of climbs out of it near the end of it. And one other guy, just a deep shot I'll mention here, just because this was um, this has been talked about in some of the beat reporters, a f- true freshman who got a lot of run because everybody was dinged up in the room. Guy by the name of Tybo Rogers. 5'10", 192 pounds. Uh, I didn't I didn't pay like a ton of attention to him, but then he got nominated in the C2C uh, auction draft and uh, somebody uh, took him for a pretty uh, decent price there. Um, almost felt like bidding him for the guy, so you're lucky you got away with that one, but I almost was about to bid you up in the last hour there. <laughs> but he, he did climb up uh, out of this room during the spring because everybody else was dinged up. So maybe just a guy of the future there at least. I vote Rogers. I, I actually watched him. I think he's a track stud. Uh, he's small, 5'11", 190, I think yeah, right now. Yeah, 192, yeah. yeah he's supposed to be uh, He also runs with that ball very high up. I mean, he 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 swings that ball around. He needs to learn how to hold that thing tight. Um, that's going to be a struggle of his. I'm surprised that hasn't been in the reports. But I remember watching his film. I remember coming away with that. Um, fast guy, speedster, small speedster. Uh, Cam Davis is entering his fifth year. Uh mm. Last year, 109 attempts, but he had 13 touchdowns on those 109 attempts. So they want a goal line back. Um, going over to the wide receiver room, which is much more exciting with this Kalen DeBoer offense here. Uh, let's start off by talking about Romo Dunze. Romo Dunze, another guy that's getting some first-round buzz. Um, I, I really don't watch too much film this time of the year. I try to go into like 2024 recruits, um, but I just don't get it. And I wanted to watch film to make sure that I still don't get it. And I still don't get it. I, I, <laughs> he's six foot three, 200. There's some on, on Twitter that claim he's six four two twenty. 220. Um, that's insane. He looks pretty skinny to me. So I, I'm not even sure he's 200 pounds. But anyway, six foot three, 220. He's lanky, long arms. Um, I think he finds the most of his success, like literally. Like he's more of a straight line guy to me than an in-breaking type of player. Um, I do think he has very good acceleration. I think his release off the line is fine, too. Pac-12 gives a lot of cushion anyway, especially in that, that air raid offense where they have a lot of talented players. They give him a lot of cushion. My real issue is also his yak ability. So after he catches the ball, especially against Oregon specifically, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Corey, but I, I saw him pause a lot. Like I, The transition from being a runner after the catch, like I thought that was lacking. And usually I don't really say that too much about wire series. It's something I'm more look for in running backs. But like mm-hmm. he stops his feet, braces for contact, and he's successful more often than he should be and not getting tackled doing that. And then hmm. he, we've talked about his acceleration and he gets to some speed and gets some yak ability based off of that. But that type of stuff, that type of technique, like that won't fly at the NFL. I mean, even high school running backs can tell you, you got to keep those feet moving at all times. So I don't 
understand that for one. Number two, I just don't, I don't see the special traits. I don't see the physicality. Like he's an alpha sized guy. He's really not physical. His route tree is fine. I've seen some double moves, but it's, again, it, he's given so much space and so much cushion. I just, I don't know. I'm not, I don't see anything special about him. I think he's a complimentary role. I talked about wide receiver twos and threes earlier in this episode. I think he profiles just like that. I think he's a day two guy. He gets drafted and he's like the number two for an offense. I mean, we do see him on Sundays, but I don't think, I don't think he's an everyday starter for me. Yeah, the 220 weight is actually coming from this offseason, which he's apparently up to 218. That's been the reports. That's going around everywhere. So that's I guess people are just rounding up. That's where you're getting the 6'3", 220 from, at least coming into this year. I rounded up for dramatic effect. Yeah, so that's apparently where the 218 is coming from. He's apparently had the best camp he's ever had since being at Washington, which I I don't know. I mean, um, maybe he's just putting all together in his final season here. But me and and Mike went, and we decided to watch three games. Uh, We watched Kent State. We watched first Oregon State, and then we watched first Oregon as well. And I do agree that sometimes the yak ability is more like he just has a knack for like bouncing off guys. Sometimes there was that really nice play um, in, in the Oregon State game where he got that screen over the middle, um, was able to juke a guy, make a guy miss. But again, we we talked about that because it was something that we didn't see a whole lot in this tape, so it popped out a lot. The fact that he that he uh, was able to do that, and yeah, he does have juice. He definitely has acceleration, uh, at least more than. Um, we seem to give him credit for a, a lot of the time. He was, he, he was getting off the line pretty quick. He took some of those end arounds. He got some pretty ju- uh, good juice and I'll, I'll give him some love. His hands seem like second nature to him. It seems very natural, very good receiver by the sideline as well. How many out routes did you see in these games? There were so many out routes at the oh, sideline and him getting and him getting those two feet in. Those are the one good thing. So he's a very like well-rounded X wide receiver on the boundary like that. Yeah, we'd like to see some more dynamism. Yeah, we'd like to. I'd like to see some more contested catch situations where he can get physical near the top um, and, and battle. But for some reason, there just wasn't many in these games. There was more like he, he's either free or he makes like an acrobatic catch. And it's kind of the, the things I'm talking about with Penix as well, where the ball placement isn't always the greatest. So you're not getting these high point catches that he where he's putting it good. He has to adjust to a low ball or he has this one catch where he's like behind his head and he catches it kind of like an Odell Beckham thing. So he has a lot of those things that I do see that I think he's at least, at least with the hype, I see a day two guy. I see at least a round I do. two, three guy, but yeah, I, I, I do too. Yeah. I don't know if I see the round one hype that, that he's getting. Um, maybe it's just now because we're trying to look for other guys, but, um, but yeah, I, I at least see a round two guy. I, I could see him becoming a round two guy with that production profile. I, I'm projecting him right now to be, yeah, I think he's a late down. I think it's a late round two, early round three type of guy. Um, I just don't understand the lack of physicality for a guy his size against the Pac-12, which really isn't known for defenders. But they do have they produce some defenders here and there. And that- you do you talk about that a lot about the lack of physicality. But I will say I saw hand fighting during his routes. I saw I even saw him push off, <laughs> which is not the greatest. But I saw him push off. He ran that really nice whip route. I can't remember where it was. Uh, either in the Kent State game, it was like third play into the game where he ran that whip route in the off in the uh, in the end zone, and the guy like just totally bit on it so hard. Like there's, uh, I see physicality there, and I see like route running skills there. Um, he just I, I see the, I see the, the strong hands. I see the strong hands. I don't see like him actually like winning like bodying players midair to get the ball and stuff like no. that and that's and even as like a bit... yak even yeah, as a but... yak player like i think he gets taken down pretty simple pretty easily i think he gets taken down pretty easily when he actually is running with the ball 
I don't know. He, he, he has some weird knack of bouncing off guys. There's, like, like uh, the announcer was like, he hit a spin play. Really? He just bounced off a guy and like span away, yeah. like in order to keep yeah. his balance. Like he didn't do that himself, but he does have some kind of knack for just bouncing off guys, not elusive in a way where he's making a bunch of cuts or being dazzling, but he's, he's, he's solid like that, I guess, you know, contact balance is what, is the way I would say. Maybe not physical, but he has contact balance. 10 missed tackles forced on 75 receptions. Yeah, oh, and his contested than... catch rate is 25%. That's pretty low. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, know that. I, I didn't see that. That's but bad, again, man. like I think I think he's a fine player. I just don't like this is just like the the Rashi Rice stuff midseason. I just don't see this round one potential. I think he's a fine complementary skill piece player. It's actually not a bad comparison. Like to where to for where his projection could be at the next like uh in draft uh the, the next year like i think he could be kind of viewed similarly like yeah that. yeah yeah i don't i'm not i'm not with it anyway and then also <laughs> did you notice him like fall off from targets like after like week seven or something like that uh jl mcmillan had a really strong run there as well too. yeah i went right near the end there when he kind of pushed for and again let, like let's get into jl mcmillan here this is a guy that we had ranked higher in our debbie guy because we do see some more uh, some more with him. I think he's twitchier. I think he has a little yes. bit more stop start ability. Um, I don't know if he's as good with his hands. I saw him a lot more cradling catches. Again, this probably comes to Penix a little bit as well with the ball placement, but I did see a little bit more of that, but he's definitely more versatile, more fluid of an athlete. I think he can play along all spots of the lineup as well. I know he's mostly a slot guy, but he has the size to kind of move outside if he had to. Um, so I think we had him ranked higher for a reason. And I just, still think that i believe that today i still think he has more um versatility at the next level they're both like right next to each other for me but i think i have like one spot higher than odunze right now yeah they're both ranked similar for me too i do have him a little bit higher i'm trying to find him i know he's like five spots higher that's it but um i i agree i think he has more he profiles more to be developed into a route runner and that's like the number one thing for me for wire series i think is separate because if they can separate with like their feet then they're going to have longevity in the league and they're going to be involved all the time. Um, but I, I think both these guys are soft. I think he, McMillan's also not physical. He's not really built to be physical, so it kind of feels yeah. like I'm lowballing him on that one. He's just not built that way. Um, they almost complement each other very well because Jalen McMillan is a yak threat and a guy you can get yeah. the ball in his hands use of. And Odunze's that nice possession wide receiver. They've got a good, a nice set here for themselves. Yeah, so I, I do like, I like McMillan more. I do like McMillan more. Both profile the same for me, by the way, but I do think he has a higher ceiling. Uh, let's talk about these other pass catching weapons in this room. Uh, we had Jeremy Bernard, the transfer from Michigan State University, and then also the true freshman, Tayshawn Lawrence. He was kind of a, a hot name for us here for a little bit until the room got crowded with Jeremy Bernard transferring in. Um, let's start off with Jeremy Bernard, though. Jeremy Bernard was a true freshman, had a Big breakout game. I'm trying to pull it up. He had one big breakout game of like 100 yards, like I want to say like week one or week two. Um, straight line, speedster threat. Uh, then we didn't get to see him much. I mean, again, it's just a true freshman, but he he hit his year one zeros, and and that's all we really wanted to see. So um, any any thought on Jeremy Bernard? Only five games played, but he hit the 100, uh, 100 reception or 100 yards receiving mark that we wanted to see, 128 on the season. Um seven catches total for the entire season. So we really just didn't see much of him. That's probably my, pro- my problem with his profile. So I just want to see more so I can get a better feel for him. And like, I don't know how much time he's going to get over here at, uh, at Washington yeah, as well. Maybe, 
they are a team that gets up on teams, so maybe they, they might get some of these younger guys in um, during their blowouts. But another guy that we haven't met, even mentioned is Jalen Polk, which was their third wide receiver last year, got 700 yards. I think he's a pretty good college player, to be honest with you. When I see him, yeah. I think he does a lot of really nice things. And that just means there's they're four deep at the position without even talking about Lions. I'm almost like I'm ready to stamp the year one zero on Tayshawn Lions right now. I don't think he's – I don't even know how much he's going to see the field in year one. I mean, size, speed athlete that we really did like. Um, but with all these guys coming in, like, uh, yeah, I'm ready to stamp the year one zero on them. I, I am similarly concerned with you. I did like Lions tape. I think I had him in my 20s. Dude glides. Like, he just glides through defenses. And then also, like, he's a skinny dude. Uh, I don't have his size put up in front of me, but he is a slender, skinny dude. Yeah, he and was like 170 pounds or something. Yeah. Did you watch his high school tape, by the way? I watched some of it, yeah. Okay. He had blocking on his tape. And I was like, dude, this dude's 170 putting blocking stuff <laughs> on his tape. Like, I, dude, inject that into my veins. Like, this skinny guy <laughs> is like, watch me body this other skinny kid. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's go. Um. So I, I love seeing that. I, like, I just imagine that he's got some dog in him if he does that type of high school tape stuff. Uh, that's enough Washington. You done with Washington, Corey? I am done with Washington, man. Last last team of the night. Let's head on over last to team. Utah. Yes. Uh, Utah. No coaching changes here. Let's just get right into the QB room. Cam Rising is still here. He's I think he's his fifth or sixth year player. Um, do you have any thoughts on Cam Rising and his Debbie value? Uh, Cam Rising is uh, the kind of guy that strikes me as he has the potential to be a long-term backup on the next level. I think the thing I like about Utah is they have a lot of pro-style concepts in their offense, so under center, uh, rollout play, action plays, things like that. That's a lot of the things that he does pretty well. Um, 6'2", 280 pounds, can move around a little bit as well, 500 yards rushing, six uh, rushing touchdowns. Um, I just don't really think anything really stands out about him, right? He's like an all-around solid player, um, good experience and, and kind of like the, with those pro style concept kind of makes me think he could be like a Garner Minshew type and it's not just the hair, <laughs> but it kind of makes me think he could be like a Garner Minshew type on the next level, maybe get in and look serviceable when he needs to. But I just don't think anything really stands out about it. I don't think the arm strength is anything crazy. He's not incredibly mobile. He's like the Baker Mayfield athletic mold kind of, um, but he does strike me as somebody who plays well enough and knows what he's doing well enough to be a, a long-term backup on the next level. Yeah, I think he's a phenomenal scrambler. Uh, six foot two, two eighteen. So he's got that good size there. I thought did he? Get, I thought he got hurt like right after he did. Week yeah, seven. yeah. I thought he looked pretty decent up to week seven. I don't know if I want to say like NFL decent, but I, I feel like we'd be seriously talking about a little bit more if he didn't get hurt because he was putting up a really solid stat line. I don't know. I probably should have calculated out his pace, but I know he finished with three thousand thirty yards. I bet he would have been pushing like 3,500, 3,700 if he didn't get hurt, um, which would have been very interesting to me. So I I think Cam Rising, I want to say Jim Nagy already released like their watch list on Twitter. I think he was on that watch list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he was, yeah. So I, I think he gets the invite. So I, I do think Cam Rising is, like you said, has potential to be a long-term backup. I'm with you on that one. Um, the guy behind him, Nate, I want to say it's Nate Johnson. Is that correct? Remember him? Oh, that's the guy that ran like the 10, 500 meter or something yeah. like that. Very fast yeah. guy. Is that where he is? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great athlete. I, I thought about when I watched Avery Johnson from Kansas State University, I thought instantly of Nate Johnson uh, from uh, Utah. And I thought they were very similar in my opinion. Um, but he seems to be a similar mold. Hopefully they can develop him a little bit earlier than they did Cam Rising. He'll go into his second year this year, so he'll probably start his third year. Um 
just another great athlete. It just it looks like a really nice changing of the guard. And again, like I just said, you're hoping that they develop him a little bit sooner than they did Cam Rising here. And I'd, I'd say looking at the rest of this team, um, you know, they have had some tight end uh, luck as well. I don't know how much I love the guys in the room, but I think the main guy that we're interested in here uh, is right at the running back position with the guy that we've talked about quite a bit throughout the past, through the off season, through the end of the year last year, um, Jaquin and Jackson, former, former quarterback, um, from Texas, I believe, right? Is that where he, that's where he started his career, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was like yeah. a quarterback five in the class, something insane like that. Right, yeah. So dual threat quarterback couldn't really find his way at quarterback. Tried to keep it at quarterback his first year transferring over to Utah. Uh, I think they just kind of all realized, you know, hey, you are a great rusher. Um, you're maybe not the greatest passer. Let's see what we can do with you. Running back has a great build with the 6'3", 227 pounds. Um, the one thing that we were kind of concerned about was the pass catching. But again, the spring game did catch like 54 receiving yards or something like that, which was very nice to see. And this was a guy that I saw kind of grow throughout the rest of the year. Um, I thought his vision improved. I thought he showed some really good instincts as a rusher. So you can tell this guy wasn't just brand new to the position. Like he's been rushing like this for a long time in his career. And the instinct showed initially on the field the way he was diverting traffic, the way he was cutting, the way he was seeing things on the field. I think it continues to grow heading into this year. And we've seen Utah really lean on guys before and really give them heavy workloads. I'm hoping Jaquin and Jackson is going to be that guy this year. Yeah, and he was out there running routes. He did run 31 routes last year, uh, according to PFF here. And then again, he, he finished up last year, week 13 against Colorado, 10 for 117 yards and three touchdowns. Then went to USC for 13 for 105 yards and two touchdowns. And then Penn State, an actual defense. 13 attempts for 81 yards and one touchdown. All of those over six yards per carry. I mean, the vision is there. The athleticism is clearly there. Mm-hmm. Um, holding that ball high and tight because he did have a bit of a turnover issue the first half of the year, which is probably why they didn't let him get too much run in the early half. Um, so he was kind of running, I can't say scared, but he definitely was running very stiff on the upper half of his body. I want to see more stiff arms. I want to see him be able to push off defenders to create bad angles for them on catching, on trying to wrap his legs. But the fact that he's just doing such so efficiently and, and he's really not using his upper half of his body too much besides maybe lowering it for contact, it's just scary saying, saying that like he hasn't reached his limit yet. So I'm very much in on Jaquin and Jackson, the most athletic Utah running back we've seen yet. And Utah does put running backs in the NFL. Only one got day two draft capital. That was Zach uh, Zach Moss a couple years ago. But I think he was round four, wasn't he? I don't even think he got day two. Oh, I thought he was a third rounder. You can check that for me. But I think Jaquin is going to be the best Utah running back here. And it just feels so similar to, like, my guy, Tyler Algier. You know, position switch. Got a little bit of run last year. They're in tree. They gave him more. Anyway. Yeah. No, he um, was actually third-round pick. You're right. He was selected with 86 overall by the Bills there, which, I mean, he had a great production profile. He just wasn't, like, the most ath- athletic specimen, no. which we have here with Jaquin. And, again, looking at the rest of this room, I don't think anybody really poses the, the hugest threat. You've got Micah Bernard returning, kind of a team leader guy. Does a lot for them, like, is more versatile, like, a, a good he reliable. He hit the portal, by the way, too, and came back. It's not he did, yeah. That. He did hit the portal and come back, realized nobody wanted him. So <laughs> this was the guy <laughs> who was made infamous, by the way, who got absolutely torched by uh, Jack. Jackson Smith and Najigba in yeah. the whole game. So he had debut uh, value just for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where they asked him to play cornerback. But again, that just goes to show what kind of player he is. He's a do-it-all guy, but not really a guy that we think uh, is going to be a debut potential. And Jalen Glover was a guy that a lot of people were on last year. But he kind of got his chance last year. Um, had had two games where he got the starts before it went in, into Quinn and Jackson. 
only 138 yards on 33 carries. That's 4.1 yards per carry, barely over four yards per carry. He just didn't look like the look like he was ready really for the spotlight. I will say entering the spring, he was the guy starting for the second team. So Jaquinnon was starting for the first team. He started for the second team during the, the spring game. So it does look like that's maybe the pecking order. I don't know how much Micah Bernard fits into that or if um, they're just going to keep him in this complimentary role. But uh, he might be second on the depth chart at least. But uh, I think those those hopes are fading pretty hard for, for uh, Glover. They did give Glover the run before they gave Jaquinnon last year. Just, I don't know, just giving that out there for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's almost like it didn't work and they were like, yeah, we got to try something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, I guess t- tight ends, the only other got other position here uh, that I think has something. I, I just want to, you know, put out the bat signal for uh, anybody who's hoping for Brant Keithy or however you want to say it. I say Brant Keith. Um, I don't know. I understand why people say the E all the time, but I think it is that that is actually how you say it. Um, but he's small. He's um, he's not athletic enough to be a wide receiver and he's too small to be a tight end. I don't, I don't see the future at the next level. I think his future at the next level is an H back at best. Somebody who can, who doubles as a fullback can play a little bit of tight end, can do a little blocking for you. He's going to catch a pass every once in a while. I don't think he has an NFL future. If there's anybody you're going to pick in this room, it's Yasmin, which I can't remember his first name right now, but at least Thomas, Thomas Yasmin. Thomas Yasmin. Yeah. I did have the size, had the production, um, yeah. a big play threat as well. I think he had some, uh, some of the bigger plays in college football last year or something like two, one of two players who had like 60 yard receptions or, or something or so, something like that. He, but either way, that's probably the one guy you'd want to look to probably a, a decent C2C dart throw as well, uh, for the guy taking over the Dalton Kincaid road, uh, role in this offense. No, yeah, has been a home run threat. He had a 60 yard reception against USC and a 71 yard reception against Arizona state. Um, didn't eclipse 20 passing snaps until the bowl game. And then he was kind of a non-factor against Penn State. Uh, one for five for one yard and one touchdown. The dude is a rugby player, convert six foot five, 251. And you know, if he's coming from the rugby background, that he is physical. Love seeing that from my tight ends. Um, he is entering his fifth year, though. So this is, you know, do or die. Um, but he is athletic, has the size, has the opportunity. Um, so I think Yadman's a pretty decent dart throw. Uh, he's also free in supplemental draft. So I, I think he's a great late round tight end to grab. Uh, should be a, a starting line, a starting tight end here. Corey, that wraps it up. Anything you want to say about Utah? Uh, no, I think uh, I'm pretty good on Utah. Pac-12, I mean, even going into next week's episode, I think they, they've got a lot of Debbie asses to talk about. So it's kind much. of a fun, kind of a fun Debbie, uh, Debbie conference for sure. It is. Guys, thank you for joining me and Corey. And just like Corey said, join us next week for part two for the Pac-12. From Corey and from Mike, good night and good luck.